0: Well hello here we are and uh, at the 11th annual Juneteenth celebration in Oakland, California. Uh, so this is a very exciting day, a very exciting moment to celebrate uh, what amounts to the official statements of freedom for those of African descent on this continent and uh, for after the Civil War to finally get that final uh, official notification that <coughs> happened in Galveston, Texas back in 19. Um, excuse me uh, 1865. So this is a very important day, and here we are, and we'd like to welcome to the airwaves Mr. John Burris. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, lawyer extraordinaire, you know, give me a little bit of your background. Where are you from? Oh. And you just mentioned earlier, you mentioned uh, a family of six, uh, what, five brothers and sisters. How did you find your way into seeing the law as your path?
1: Uh, That's a very interesting question. I'm asked that question often. I didn't start out uh, to be a lawyer. Um, I'm from a working class family in Vallejo. Um, All I knew that um, by watching uh, the the great people on television and reading newspapers and books, I knew that there was a world beyond where I lived. And that world where I lived was basically a working class town. You play sports. You go to school, Uh, when that's over, you get a job in the city doing something. Uh, That was not for me. My father worked in a shipyard. I knew I wasn't gonna work at a shipyard. But along the way, I became very much um, impacted by what I saw in terms of the civil rights movement. And as everyone talked about and watched uh, how Martin Luther King um, and those folks whom I got to see often were giving speeches and doing great things, I was very much moved by seeing the dogs and the, and the police officers, how they abused their authority. And, I, and as a kid, I'm thinking, boy, that's wrong. Uh, and so that's, that stuck with me. And then later on, I uh, became uh, involved in Chicago with some police cases and that I got a chance to see Chicago PD in its fullness. And that let me know that the urban policing was just as bad as the southern policing. And I also was around uh, when Huey Newton were uh, making their move around policing. So those kind of things had an impact on me. I worked as a, in a big law firm in Chicago uh, doing corporate stuff, which I didn't. I used to say, what the hell am I doing up here for? I didn't go to law school to work on the 34th floor or 44th floor, so I quit. Uh, and I went to work in the DA's office, state's attorney's office there. That was just a stopgap uh, to find my way back to California. And when I came back to California, I worked in the DA's office uh, for a couple years. Again, those were just stops along the way. I mean, I always knew that I was gonna be in private practice. I, I come from an entrepreneurial background in terms of my great-grandfather and grandmother and even my mom and them, they all had private jobs. So I knew I was gonna be on my own. And then the question is, what do, what's the vision for that private business? And initially I was in criminal defense work, and, and that was okay, but it didn't move me in a way that I thought I could make a difference. Uh, criminal defense work is, is work, and, and people, everybody needs representation. I concluded they don't need me to represent them, and so I, I wanted to do something that had more of a greater impact on the social order. And I did employment discrimination, and I did in police stuff, and I'm sort of down, down the lane doing what I'm doing, which is the best thing ever happened to me.
0: We bring you down here today, sir.
1: Well, I came down, uh, one, because the BH Brilliant Minds organization uh, gave me an award, the Huey P. Newton award, Legacy Award, and I was honored to receive such a, an acknowledgement. But more, But equally and more important, I would undoubtedly be here because this date, to me, is a very special date. As an African-American, I understand... Uh, the importance of the official freedom for some, and also the fact that the system's segregation system was so much in place that it took almost two years for that communication to get down to uh, various members of the black community, even though the proclamation had taken place a couple years before. So for me, it is an acknowledgment that even though African Americans were freed uh, by Lincoln at a certain date, because of the social construct that existed at the time, that freedom did not occur uh, for almost two years. And, and to me, that reflective of where we are now in terms of a society that really does not allow for the freedom that people deserve and ought to have. And if you look at the social construct that is existing now under Trumpism, if you will, uh, that, that we see that whatever gains had been made is a real effort to truncate those games. And for me, uh, to be in a position as a lawyer uh, to fight those issues uh, is important to me. And I also believe that notwithstanding what is taking place now, there have been other periods in time that have been just as draconian. And African Americans and people of goodwill have fought through those. And they fought through them with a sense that there has to be someone and group of folks who will say, hell no, to those particular con- issues that are being placed upon the community, so I believe that in this present-day environment, that me and others and people of goodwill uh, should not dismay uh, that what is taking place, and they should understand that we all have a responsibility to fight whatever uh, vestiges of segregation or ill will or improper tactics. We should fight them collectively. And so I am pleased to be in a position to do that, and I call upon everyone else as well uh, to try to participate and do what they can to fight this period. And I do believe, as they say, this too will pass. However, it will not pass in a way that is important about the collective goodwill of those who oppose the type of issues and the the type of uh, conduct that's being put up on us now by by Trumpism.
0: How do we get and galvanize these forces of the community? How do we tie in maybe some of these historical parallels? I could see Trump coming. I could see the backlash and reaction to a President Obama. We could see what the backlash was just from his election. I mean, I don't think we've ever heard at a State of the Union someone call a president a liar out in open air, that person gained some money from that opportunity and that effort. And it, and that wasn't just a single example where he was repudiated and, and, and downed by the by the GOP. That was actually something that started to spread, which allowed Trump to gain his foothold with the birtherism. And he moved along those lines. So how do we as a community inform not just ourselves, uh, those of us of the uh, of the specific culture of African-Americans, yes, but really the greater community of everyone who's involved. We have a lot of progressives who are out there, both white, black, brown, you know, uh, 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 the Asian community, Hispanic community. Uh, they're all, everyone wants to move things forward. How do we do that? How do we start to, to gain a foothold?
1: The points that you have raised uh, are, are excellent. Uh, I too could see back in the Tea Party days that a particular movement was afoot and that uh, Trump honestly is a very shrewd man and uh, he is uh, a man without principles and when you don't have principles and you can say or do anything uh, then you could you can as one says as um, Bloomberg said he was a con man he knew a con and and when he saw them but the con man actually tapped into a thought process a state of mind of a large segment of the population And there are a lot of reasons for that, and be probably for me to um, identify things that have already been said before. But undercutting all of that is I'm a big understander of um, Dr. W.B. Du Bois when he said the color line was the primary issue that exists in this country. And all of these issues around immigration and how the minority the the Hispanics are being treated at the border, those are racial questions. And, And Trumpism and Trump people really see this as an invasion in their lifestyle, the invasion of this new group that might take over from them. And that's just fundamentally rooted in race. And he gets that, Trump does, and he's playing that. Now, what should we do? Uh, from a collective point of view, I, I think that organizations are important, different kinds of group. I don't know if any one group in one movement will do it, but there are different lanes that we all can take. I certainly have defined my lane as a civil rights lawyer and fighting the injustices that I, I see there. But there's other lanes, and, and probably as equally important is the mass incarceration of people. We need people out of jail so they can participate in the system. We also have the whole question, I think, and the most fundamentally, is the education of people at a very early age. The, the vast majority of people who have means, the one percenters, take their kids out of, don't put their kids in public schools, and therefore they don't want to pay taxes for the kids who are in public schools. It's so therefore the public schools are underfunded. Well, the question is, what are you going to do about that? Because as a grandfather with, with small grandkids, I get it, that you got to get these, you got to put something in these kids' brain, and their heads and their sense of, of identity for them to be able to go forward and, and, lead, and be productive. Everyone is not going to fight the battle. You know, I'm a big believer, as uh, W.B. Du Bois said, in the 10 percenters. The ten percent of the population got to lead the other ninety percent. Most people who just work, it's enough to put food on their tables. You know, I, I was talking uh, recently, and someone asked me about my dad, who worked at the shipyard. Was he part of this group that was leading uh, in Mare Island for, for better rights? I said, look, my dad had six kids. <laughs> he he did whatever he, he enough, could. Right? <laughs> he did whatever he could to take put food on our, on our tables and make sure that we had what we had. That did not mean he did not appreciate those issues because largely the person I have become is a function of my mother and father and their sense uh, of community and their sense of righteousness, even though they themselves couldn't do it. So I do believe that uh, whatever can be done in terms of uh, organizations uh, and organizing around particular types of issues are extremely important, Uh, and, and the forces can be beaten. But make no mistake about it, Trumpism is a powerful force in this country and that um, those who believe against that will have to work extraordinarily hard. There's no no one way to do it. There are a lot of different lanes that we have to occupy. The important thing, though, is everyone can do something and you need to move forward. We all must move forward in a collective way by joining a group and think about what you can do, whether it's on the educational, criminal justice, uh, how you treat the kids, Uh, How do you treat grown-ups and and certainly providing for economics? For example, recently you may have heard, and I know I was on this case in this court uh, on this radio station where I talked about the the racial discrimination that was taking place at this uh, construction site. That's a classic example of the importance of fighting for one's rights because that case is only about keeping those African-Americans from having a job, keeping them in a position where they could not earn as much money as everyone else could, and so what do they do? They intimidated them with all kind of racial slurs, a hangman noose, uh, so that they would be afraid and intimidated, and basically threatening them. You need to quit. Well, those are the kinds of things that have to be fought. That that's not even going forward. That's like maintaining, and so. Certainly people like myself are fighting those issues, but I think that the more important question is what do you do about Clark Construction? How do you get to those people so they set the guidelines uh, for a diversified environment and so that people can be promoted, can work their job? That's their responsibility. And so I think the people in the community, the political people, have to work on those kinds of people at the upper echelon of an organization uh, if you want to move the social agenda. Because what we're really doing here, and I see this, I refer to this often. We're planting trees, if you will, that we may never see. I understand that what I'm doing is benefiting people who may never know the benefit that I attribute to them. When I've done some of these police cases and made things safer for people, the everyday person doesn't know that. But that's how progress is. Before us, other people made sacrifices. They moved a social agenda, and they didn't live to see the benefit of it. We are the beneficiaries of it. And likewise, what we're doing would be the beneficiaries for the next generation of people. So
0: do not despair, as I say. Do not despair. Thank you. So important. So many important words and and thoughts. Uh, Along that, what you just mentioned, and I know we talked slightly off air about uh, the relay race. Yes. And passing that baton. So how are you engaging with some young lawyers?
1: For me, it's very important. I made a decision a number of years ago that it was not just enough for me to be successful, to make enough money, to take care of my family. That, That was not enough. And part of what I wanted to do, not only the issue of social reform and changing departments, but I also wanted to develop young lawyers who will be in a position to fight these struggles and these battles years into the future. And so I've trained at least six lawyers now who are fully capable. And I view this all as a relay, and I'm running this race, and I ran track, and I I ran a relay. And so I understand that you run a leg of that relay, and then you pass that baton to the next person, but you want to make sure that person is in full stride, so that they don't have to break stride. I told someone very recently, I said, look, I'm training these lawyers to fight you, quote, devils for the next 30 years, and I'm in it. And so I do believe that, that we all play a part, but we make our part such that we play it properly that we're preparing for the next person who has to run that leg. Just as I was influenced by other lawyers before me, they didn't do exactly
0: what I did, but the idea of doing something was planted in my head as well. Okay, well, I'd like to thank you very much for spending some time with us here at the uh, 11th, 12th uh, celebration in Oakland, California. Uh, it's been a fantastic opportunity. It's very warm and hot out here, and I think we all enjoy that here in Oakland. And want to thank again Mr. John Burris for spending some time with us and sharing some really profound thoughts on what we can start to do to shape what we want and what our vision will be of our present and our future. I want to thank you very Absolutely.
1: much. Absolutely. Uh, good luck for everyone, and remember, uh, do not despair. All
0: right. all right. Thank you, sir. All right.